0: As the week wore on, I was grateful that we had a guest speaker coming in this Sunday because I came down with a virus earlier in the week and I could tell the way it was headed, where it was going, uh, where it usually does in my case, into my bronchioles. And uh, so last night when I got the confirmed word at 8.30 that Warren's flight had been canceled out of Chicago, I thought, well, Lord, you know what you're doing. You're in charge of throats as much as you are in charge of uh, snowstorms, and so we're trusting you. I actually feel rather comfortable doing this, standing in his place, because uh, as you may know, I was his associate for a couple of years back early in my ministry, and every time I preached, I was there in place of Warren Wiersbe. And so this is a rather uh, comfortable position for me to be in this morning. And I learned then that you don't fill his shoes, you set them aside and grow into your own. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 1. Obviously there wasn't a lot of time to plow new ground for this morning. And so as I thought about a text I wanted to use, I went back to the well where I've been Drawing the water for the last few weeks for my own soul in Philippians chapter 1. And I noted in reading through this chapter that the word gospel occurs over and over again. In fact, it's used six times in chapter 1. It's interesting to me that it's only used three times in the whole rest of the book. In the first first chapter, six times the Apostle Paul refers to to the gospel, the good news, and he defines it as the gospel of Christ toward the end of the chapter. It is the gospel of Christ. Verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news about Christ. And so that gives us the content of the word gospel. He is talking about the good news concerning Jesus Christ, and the focus of that, of course, is his death, for our sins, his burial, and then his resurrection from the dead. That's the focus of the gospel. Now, there's a whole lot more that surrounds that, as you know and I know, but that's the diamond in the center of the ring, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good news of what he has done for us, but it also includes our necessary response to the gospel, which is to believe it. To place our faith entirely in the Savior, to trust in him alone, and that involves a turning from our sin, a repentance on our part, as well as a belief, like two sides to one coin. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to me that in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is telling us that the gospel of Christ demands a radical reordering of our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a radical reordering of our lives. There are three phrases that caught my attention as I noticed the word gospel. The first one is found in verse 5 where he speaks about the fellowship of the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 5 he says, "For." Your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says, I thank God for that. For your fellowship in the gospel. The word fellowship here means a joint participation. It comes from our word uh, for fellowship as well. It means the having something in common interest. Partnership is the way some translations put it. It is a joint participation in something that people share in together, the fellowship of the gospel. When I see that word, I'm reminded that sin is the great divider, that sin is the great separator. Humanity is separated because of sin from God and from one another. And we see that proof all around us. We see it, for example, in the separation that is becoming exaggerated again in the races, particularly in America, where we thought we had racial equality and where the work of a few leaders 20 years ago put an end to racial prejudice and bias. But we see that actually it didn't. It covered it over for a while, perhaps, But uh, again we see prejudice raising its ugly head in our society. Uh, We see it with blacks and whites in particular. The campus at Bethel College has recently undergone the trauma of this sort of, of bias by the threats of a white supremacist former student who has threatened a professor and his family on that campus. And we see it in our newspapers, week upon week, violence of one race against the other and very often black against white or white against black. Racial prejudice is with us and it's evidence of sin because sin isolates. Sin pulls us apart from one another. Our family has had the privilege of befriending an international student. His name is David. David attends Hamlin University. A very intelligent, articulate young black man from Zimbabwe in Africa. Nineteen years old, a jet fighter pilot in the Zimbabwe Air Force a man who has traveled in many parts of the world, speaks six different languages, 19 years old. And studying in the United States, planning to stay here to make this his home. He's got a brother who lives in Boston, a sister who lives on the East Coast, though his parents still live in Zimbabwe. But David was the object of racial threats a few weeks ago because he was dating a white girl on the Hamlin campus, the bastion of liberalism. But because he was dating a white girl, he received a a threat, telling him as a black man to stay in his place. You see, racial prejudice and bias does not stop at certain political lines. Racial prejudice and bias goes to the very heart of the human being, which is sinful. That's its origin. We see it too in rising anti Semitism, even in our own nation. Throughout the world, it is true, and that is, of course, why so many Jews are seeking to get out of Russia as fast as possible. And one of the reasons that uh, Israel is so upset about the recent denial of uh, loan guarantees from the United States is they were using those guarantees to build housing for Jews coming from Russia. I know they were building the housing where they were, and that's the problem. But you see, they're trying to get the Jews out of Russia as quickly as possible because of the escalating anti-Semitism in Russia. They don't know how long the door will be open to get the Jews out of there. I should say, the former Soviet Union, shouldn't I? Not Russia. But it's not just Russia. We see it in our own country. We see people going into graveyards and pushing over tombstones. We see epithets and symbols painted on walls of synagogues. Racial hatred. It is the result of sin. Sin which separates People from people, as well as people from God. We see the evidence of sin likewise in the division of classes. This has not been true to a great extent in the United States in the past, but it seems to be coming more and more to the front. The division of people based upon wealth their economic status, their class in our society. And certain politicians are playing that theme. And I think personally it's a very dangerous theme to be played. There seems to be an emphasis on the part of some unscrupulous people to further divide the American public by playing upon racial and social hatreds. The evidence of sin, because sin is the source of separation. We see it in, in uh, the emphasis upon buying American-made automobiles. And whether this be class or it be race, I don't know. Because the point is that a lot of automobiles today are made in Asia. And uh, there is a movement to buy Americans. Of course, the only problem is when you try to do that, it's very hard. Because most of even what says, made in America on it, has components from other parts of the world. It's true, we do have a global economy. But the kinds of uh, divisions that we see arising in our world today come out of sin. We see it in the battle of the sexes. Once again, we get into the election year, and we see polls upon polls. Men feel this way. Women feel this way. Certain women's groups have their agenda, their political agenda. Other groups have their agenda. Division, separation, isolation. And it comes about because of sin. Now that's the marvelous thing about the gospel, you see, because the gospel restores The gospel unites. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings together what before had been separated. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys all the sin-made walls that separate people. Why is that? Because when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, we come to the great equalizer. The ground is level at the cross. We come to the cross of Jesus Christ and receive the Savior in the very same way no matter who we are or what our race or economics or male or female. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys all of the sin-made walls that separate, all of the distinctions that cause people to hate one another. Paul says, I thank God for the fellowship of the gospel, that which we have a joint participation in. It's interesting to me that Paul, when he went to Philippi, began evangelism with a a group of women who were meeting for prayer beside a river. That's how the gospel got started in Philippi. Women who were much more... uh, less esteemed in that day than some people think they are today look down upon and yet that's where the gospel began and paul says i look back to the very beginning when god began his work in you and i thank god for what he did that very first day when lydia was saved and some of those other women beside the riverbank that prayer meeting <clears throat> and others of you who've been saved that jailer remember him Jailers were not exactly the most popular people in the world because of the kind of work they were in. God saved a jailer, a despised class of people in that day. But you see how the gospel from the very first day in Philippi began to break down the barriers and to level out people at the cross. And therefore the cross demands a radical reordering of our lives. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only answer to those things that are separating people from people and certainly people from God. Dr. Raleigh Washington is the pastor of the Rock of Our Salvation, Evangelical Free Church. I love that name. The Rock of Our Salvation, Evangelical Free Church, in the inner city black populated area of Chicago. Just the west side of downtown. I heard the choir from that church a few weeks ago. Boy, it was exciting. They get up to this area occasionally, and if they ever do again, I'd love to have them here at Grace Church. Some of you would probably need a pacemaker or something to make it through the concert. But uh, let me tell you, it's exciting music. I mean, it moves. Raleigh Washington was preaching to an audience that was quite mixed racially. He began to refer to Dr. Martin Luther King, who, of course, was the great crusader for racial equality, and who was assassinated back in the 1960s. And he commended Dr. King for some of the good things that he did, and then he said, and I thought it was very significant for him to say this as a black leader in Chicago, he said there was one thing that was missing from Dr. King's message. And he said that one thing that was missing was the most crucial part of anything he could have said. And that one thing that was missing was the cross of Jesus Christ. He had many good things to say regarding people and relationships, but he missed the heart of it. He missed the cross of Jesus Christ, that which alone can truly bring into fellowship people who are separated from God and separated from one another. The root of the gospel is the grace of God. and Paul says in the text that he, along with the Philippians, were sharers in that grace. And he says earlier in the chapter, grace to you. The grace of God is the root of salvation. The fruit of salvation is the peace of God. Grace and peace to you, he says. Peace flows from the cross. Where before there is war and division and isolation and prejudice and bias and hatred because of sin... When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and believed and when the cross is established, it ends all of that. And it brings peace and restoration and oneness and wholeness where before there was only deep enmity. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a radical reordering of our lives. If, before we came to the cross, we were infected by the kind of diseases we've talked about that flow from sin, where there is division and hatred and prejudice, we need to realize that there is no room for any of that now, this side of the cross. It's over. And it can be over, and we understand it. And it's not just that we're covering it over, it's truly finished because we see other people through the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ demands a radical reordering of our lives. As he speaks about the fellowship of the gospel, the joint participation that we have in the gospel. Whether we be black or yellow or white or red, or we be poor or rich or middle class, or male, or female, or whatever we be in any of the divisions that we make. At the cross of Jesus Christ, we are brought into fellowship. The fellowship of the gospel. Now I'd like you to look further down into the text and notice with me in verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. Here we come to Paul's purpose in life. Verse 12 says, "...I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel." See, what translation are you using? I thought you would ask that eventually. Uh, When I found out at 830 last night I was preaching today, the only Bible I had near me was the New King James Version. And so I used that as I prepared for this morning. How many of you carry the New King James or some version of the King James, be it the Scofield Study Bible or whatever? Would you lift your hands? I want to get an idea. Okay, thank you. Well, all of us have the right Bible, of course. Now, how many of you use the New American Standard, which I normally preach from? Okay, keep them up just a second so I can try to get an idea here. All right, thank you. How many of you use the NIV? Would you lift your hands? Well, we are a divided church. (laughs) I better go back and preach that first point again, the fellowship of the gospel. The NIV by the way is outselling all other Bibles. The the NASV which I preach from which many of you have is a Bible that is sliding down the tubes apparently. Fewer and fewer are buying it and whether it'll be published one day who knows. But the NIV 30% or more of all Bibles sold are NIV Bibles. Now, that's one reason I have been preaching from Philippians in the NIV and twice as many of us have the NIV as any other translation, at least in this congregation. But the New King James calls it the furtherance of the gospel. I needed an F, and that's why I enjoy the King James. The fellowship of the gospel, now the furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. How does this happen, this this furtherance of the gospel? How does this advance happen well, let me suggest to you it happens, first of all, through ordinary people. Now, we might not call Paul ordinary because he was a rather unusual person in that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not many of those around today. In fact, there weren't many of them around then, none around today. But Paul is not just talking about himself being used to advance the gospel. He's talking about others in Rome who were not in prison, but who were preaching the gospel now. They were emboldened to do so because of his condition. And he is commending the Philippians because of the fact the gospel was being advanced through them. The point I'm making is that the furtherance of the gospel happens through ordinary people. Sometimes we think it only happens through missionaries or through preachers or through evangelists, or people who are called to some particular kind of ministry. No, no, the fact is that all of us have a share in the advance of the gospel, it being furthered. It happens through ordinary people, and not only that, it happens through ordinary methods. Now, when Paul started in Philippi, there was an earthquake. I remember that, too. He was in jail, singing at midnight, And the prisoners were listening to him and Silas as they sang their duets. And then it says there was an earthquake that shook the place. And their bonds were loosened. And Paul and Silas were free. Now that would get somebody's attention. But you know, God doesn't use earthquakes very often. Now there are some people around today who think that the gospel is authenticated through signs, wonders, and miracles. And that if you don't have those kinds of power encounters and power shows, then people aren't going to believe the gospel. I disagree with that. There are times when God chooses to demonstrate His power in some way, but those are exceptions and they are rare. God advances his gospel through very ordinary means like just talking. Twice Paul refers in chapter 1 to his defense of the gospel. The word means his oral defense. Paul was not going to get before Nero if he ever did, and as far as we know, he didn't. But at this point, he didn't know that, and so he was planning his oral defense before Caesar. He was not going to call down fire from heaven he was not going to throw a cane down on the floor and to become a snake before Nero. It was simply an oral defense of the gospel, just a very ordinary method. Using his brain and his tongue, he was going to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ before the most powerful man in the world. And he commends the fact that there are people in Rome who are speaking the gospel. And he prays that even in his own circumstances, that Christ might be magnified in his body, that he would have boldness, that Christ might be magnified. And the word boldness there means freedom of speech. So he wasn't talking about heroic deeds, unusual signs and wonders which might accompany him as an apostle, and rightly so, But he was talking about speech, just ordinary means, that's how God advances the gospel. Through ordinary people, using ordinary means, and in ordinary circumstances. And in fact, Paul's circumstances were negative in one sense. He was in prison. He was suffering, as were the Philippians. In a different way, but very much suffering by persecution. And Paul says, In all of these things, I am convinced that God is advancing the gospel through ordinary people, using ordinary methods, in ordinary circumstances. <coughs> you say, How can I be used to advance the gospel? Right where you're going to be tomorrow, whatever your ordinary routine day involves, just share the gospel through your ordinary mouth. That's how God works. Certainly God can do the supernatural and the spectacular. God can do that. But God chooses rather, on the whole, in general, to use the ordinary means. He could have sent angels, who undoubtedly would do it more brilliantly than you or I. But God doesn't use angels to advance the gospel. He uses ordinary people like you and me in the routine of our lives, to sharing Jesus Christ. That's the furtherance of the gospel. That demands a radical reorienting of our lives. To understand that why we're here and the circumstances we're in are intended by God for that purpose. Paul says in the text, I am set or I am appointed for the defense, the oral defense of the gospel. That is a clue to his theology about what he was experiencing. He is saying, I am appointed here by God. I am set here by God. I am not the victim of some liars in Palestine who manipulated the system so that I would be forced to be imprisoned here in Rome. He is saying, I am set By God, I am appointed by God in these circumstances so that the gospel can be furthered. That demands that you and I look at our lives differently tomorrow, maybe even today. That the circumstances we're facing are allowed by God so that the gospel can be furthered. What a great purpose for life! One mission. And then we conclude, as we study the gospel, in chapter 1 of Philippians, with verse 27, where it talks about the faith of the gospel. What do you know? Another F. The faith of the gospel, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word faith here is used in the sense of the body of belief that surrounds the gospel, the faith of the gospel. And he says basically that the gospel, this body of truth, that we call the Gospel, has three works. Its first work is to connect us to others in Christ. You see that in Paul's relationship to the Philippians. He says, whether I'm absent or I'm with you, that you may stand fast. The Gospel connects us with other people in Jesus Christ. It even connects us with people of past generations one of the hymns we sometimes sing talks of mystic, sweet communion with those whose race is one. I don't know about you, I've never had too much mystic, sweet communion with the dead. I'm not sure what that song is supposed to mean. But the fact is that there is a certain oneness even with those who are with Christ. That we're part of the same body, the same church, The gospel connects us to others. Yesterday I sat at a wedding. I don't too often get to do that, just to sit and and witness it, be a guest. But I sat there at the wedding and I watched uh, the grandparents being ushered in. My heart was touched as I watched them. Because I saw one generation and then another generation and finally the bride, a third generation, come in. And all of them loving Jesus Christ, being a part of the same thing. The gospel connected those generations. The gospel connects us with our differences of age or whatever the difference may be. It connects us with the same purpose. We also see that the gospel commands a worthy lifestyle. That's the second work of the gospel. We say we believe the gospel, this body of truth. We believe the faith that we're told to keep. Paul says, if you believe it, then live like it. Conduct yourselves worthily. The word worthy means worth as much as. He's saying, if you say you believe the gospel, then make sure that your life is worth as much as the gospel is worth. What he's saying. I haven't always been a preacher I know congregations sometimes look at the preacher and they say he's always been a preacher No I haven't always been a preacher I grew up 18 years on the farm I was a farmer for 18 years And then for several years I was a college student and while I was a college student I was lots of things One of the things I did was to work for Beatrice Foods in Topeka, Kansas, in a dairy plant. And among a number of jobs that I had as a summer worker in between college years, I helped to package cottage cheese. Now, I hated cottage cheese, but I had never tried it either, and I learned to like it during that summer. But one of the jobs I had was to package cottage cheese, and the first summer I was there in that dairy plant, we did it all by hand. I remember one weekend, it was around the 4th of July, there was a sale on cottage cheese. And every vat in which we made cottage cheese was used, and it was all chopped up like it was supposed to be, and there were three of us who were responsible for packaging hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of cottage cheese. We put in an 18-hour day standing there packaging cottage cheese. Different sized curds, different uh, uh, carton size, 12-ounce, 16-ounce, 24-ounce packaging cottage cheese. And I remember about hour 12, we got a little punchy. You can only package cottage cheese so long before going out of your mind. So for about six hours, three insane people were packaging cottage cheese. And I'm telling you, some of the cottage cheese that went out of there about hour 15 or 16 had to be returned. Because you see, the carton just wasn't packaged right. It just wasn't packaged right and people were not willing to buy it because it wasn't worth the price they paid. Paul says, if you say you believe the gospel, that you possess the faith of the gospel, then let your life be worth that. Or else don't profess it. That's the implication. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the faith that you say you have. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a radical reordering of our lives. It means that I can no longer see anyone apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. It's changed my vision. It's made me colorblind. It causes me to lose sight of of all of the sinful distinctions that I may have made before. The gospel of Jesus Christ means I can no longer see anyone apart from the cross and through the cross. The gospel of Jesus Christ means I can no longer understand my circumstances apart from the cross. I cannot understand the snowstorm yesterday that prevented our guest speaker from being here, apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. I still don't have a full answer on that, but I I dare not separate the cross from it, nor do you. The loss of your job, the breakup of that relationship, the illness of your loved one. Whatever the circumstance of our lives, we cannot separate those things from the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God is at work in our circumstances and what he is doing is advancing his purpose in the world, his mission, the gospel. Thirdly, it means I can no longer order my lifestyle apart from the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a radical reordering of my life. In my lifestyle. I cannot live the way I once lived. I cannot live for what I once lived for. Everything comes to the cross. To Jesus. And it's measured by that. And so as we conclude the service. Let's ask the Lord. How does my life today. Need to be reordered. In the light of the gospel, let's bow together. Obviously, I cannot answer that question for you, only you can answer it. But what does the cross mean to your life? To the way that you think about other people? Even people who aren't nice. Even people who may smell bad. Even people who don't do their part of the bargain. People who are different than you in the way they feel about things. How does the cross need to be applied to your vision of others? How does the cross need to be applied in the way you see your circumstances? What you're passing through? Can you honestly say, God, I don't understand, but I give thanks. And I am trusting you that you are advancing the gospel through me as your child. How does the gospel need to be applied to your lifestyle choices? To the places you go and what you choose to see and rent to see. The kinds of materials that you read. the kinds of programs that you imbibe. The cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel that surrounds it demands a radical reordering. Let it begin. Father, too often we have professed the gospel simplistically. And we have not seen the cross in its radical demands upon our lives. But we've been reminded somewhat of that this morning. And so wherein any of us need to reorder our lives in obedience to the gospel, may we do it today, being yielded and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, saying, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. May we do it and trust the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about the kinds of practical changes that are necessary so that we may live as it becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ.